You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to Real Presence Live on a Thursday. Father James Gross joined by Father Jason Leffer, priest of the Diocese of Fargo. And uh, we are about to dive into one of our favorite uh, segments that we have on a uh, semi, or at least uh, as much regular basis as we can, as we once again saunter down Literary Lane. Ooh, you changed and... it on me. We used to sashay down Literary oh, Lane. Oh, no, yes, Now yes. we're sauntering. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have to mix it up a little bit. Add a little bit of variety, yes, and... And what we're going to be talking about is a um, uh, a well-known uh, work of literature from the 19th century with a pretty fascinating backstory about its author as well. And I know that we have Father Slattery with us. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. Good morning, Fathers. Good morning, Nancy. Very good. We're we're uh, hoping to uh, have uh, Nancy join us shortly, and uh, look forward to having her. In fact, I believe she is with us right now. Nancy, welcome back to Real Presence Live. Well, thank you. As always, I'm very happy to be here. Are, are you ready to sashay with us down literary lane? Oh, I am more than ready. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Now, the name of the book that we are going to be talking about is Silas Marner, um, with the uh, subtitle The Weaver of Ravelo, and uh, by uh, an author by the name of George Eliot. But um, that might be a little deceiving. Uh, tell us, uh, one of you kind of set up for us who this author is and uh, how better to understand uh, the author's writings? Well, George Eliot is the pseudonym of Marianne Evans, who lived from 1819 to 1880. Not really a George uh, at all. Yes. Not a George <laughs> at all. And again, like, like some of the, the women authors we have discussed on the program, she had an unorthodox life. She was estranged from her siblings. She lived with a married man and was very dedicated to him. Uh, she was very much influenced by the Romantics, uh, particularly Wordsworth, the great English poet. And as she got older, she did stop attending church, and she was a little more agnostic in her approach to life. But her love of the Romantic poets is shown in Silas Marner because they really liked the individual working man, one who worked with the soil, one who worked with crafts. And so that's shown very much in, in this book. I, I always find it fascinating, like the background of the authors and then how it comes out. Like, I think her personal experience was she's very familiar with the Church of England. But then she she was heavily influenced by the uh, we think of more today as like maybe the fundamentalist didn't exist then but that kind of branch Christianity that was more vibrant or more revivalism re revivalism there that would be the mm -hmm. way and and then it's funny how funny ironic I guess how. She goes from that then to almost, um, well, yeah, her dad kicked her out of the house at one point when she refused to go to church any longer. Um, mm -hmm. So there was a tussle between her, she and her father just regarding um, belief in God or not. And then there, eventually there's a standoff with it and uh, kind of a simple reconciliation. But, but those themes all show up in her literature. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so, um, yeah. 
Right, right. So, Father Slattery, can you give us just a, a little bit of an introduction in terms of this title character, Silas Marner? Um, what, what's going on with him? Uh, where do we where do we intersect with his life in this book? Yeah. So, uh, so Silas Silas Marner, we kind of are introduced to him um, as uh, a member of the the town of Ravalo uh, and like English rural village. Um, and so he's a weaver. Um, he's kind of a figure at the beginning who's uh, very suspect because he's come uh, to the town. Um, uh, he's kind of new. In, he's lived 15 years, but he lives kind of isolation and alone. He's known as kind of a, a miser, um, a figure who's a little bit of a recluse. Um, in the backstory, he was part of this very kind of uh, almost like a fundamentalist Kelvin community uh, that was very religious. Um, it was very integrated in the community and then was accused of theft um, and then kind of uh, shunned and uh, kind of forced to leave. Um, and this is how he comes to Ravalo. Um, and uh, during that time in Ravalo, again, he's kind of an outcast in some sense. Um, and then we're introduced to the other figures who um, are part of the, the experience of him um, uh, kind of moving from this position of an outcast to becoming kind of a central figure of the town. So that's a, just a short summary without getting into yeah, the other details right. we wanted to, to discuss. So, sure, Na- Nancy, sure. just on the literary level, what, 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 would this, what would this novel fall under? I mean, I almost want to call it a tragedy, but it's not because it has a happy ending, a redeeming ending. What, 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 how would you, what word would you use to describe this type of literature? Well, there's a type of literature out there that is called domestic fiction. And again, this is a classic novel. It's, it is one, it may be her shortest novel. As a matter of fact, she kind of jammed it in uh, among her other writing. But uh, domestic fiction deals very much with the home and the heart and the family. And when you consider there's a great deal of focus on his cottage, on the hearth, on his relationships within the community. It is, it is curious because Father Slattery mentioned his being an outcast, and he's kind of an, an, an odd kind of figure. They, they have, they're, they're a little superstitious at first because he does have some knowledge of uh, herbs and medicinal flowers. And so they kind of, they're very skeptical when they look at him, but what brings him into the community initially is the theft of his gold. Mm-hmm. Because and it is, people yeah. have sympathy for him for for that misfortune. And I think the author, you know, paints a, a vivid picture of kind of the, the the misery of this man who is kind of conducting himself sort of as a ghost in this community, you know, earning a living and kind of going about his thing, but staying very reclusive and just kind of sitting and gazing upon the guineas, you know, the various right. coins and stuff mm-hmm. like that, and how that just is, is captivating him to the exclusion of so many other ways that he could engage in the place so, where he lives. So Father Slatter, could, could you give us a rundown? What what are all the tragic things that happen to our poor main character here? <laughs> to Silas, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there's the stigma that he kind of bears internally of the false accusation um, that leads him from the community that really was probably his biggest connection in his life. Um, and he moves to a new town, and uh, you know, there's that kind of alienating reality of. Uh, of being an outcast, like in in some ways, like there's no, you can't you can't you know win even for trying, <laughs> uh, you know, 
So the moment he tries to be engaged, right, as Nancy says, you know, to give his neighbor um, some herbal remedy for an illness, right, he's kind of accused of being, uh, you know, a witch, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. you know, which a whole connotation. Um, his, his work in weaving, right, and the noises that makes his, his, uh, his, his house, um, you know, they, they're suspicious of him being, you know, kind of a devil worshiper or affected by demons. Because um, he never know, shows not, up at the local church, and he what's goes, he doing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, again, that, and that's the, you know, again, the interior part of him that's hurt by that religious community that he was outcast with. And so, um, you know, it, it kind of hits on that, you know, the chord of uh, the human experience of suffering. Um, that in all these tragedies, right, there's a great alienating um, uh, a reality of, of suffering. And some of it's imposed by ourselves, right? We don't mm-hmm. help ourselves, but some of it's the conditions of, of the lack of sympathy of others, right, um, who are blind right. to that interior struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and then, you know, you, you know, then compound it, it's a great narrative, uh, you know, that all the things he's working for, the joy that he's seeking, at least the one thing he can grasp for is wealth, um, that's taken from him by God. And I think the, the, the narrative forced figure there is that way in which God is satisfied with uh, keeping us in a condition of, of uh, isolation, loneliness, uh, unfulfilled. And then how about, like, how about love? How is, is, he, is he successful yeah. at love? What happens there? What tragedy happens oh. there? <laughs> the yeah, well, well, yeah. well, Father addressed this issue. He had a, a dear, close friend who really turned on him in a very duplicitous way and really set him up to be the fall guy for this theft. And not only is he found guilty through a casting of lots, and he was absolutely convinced, Silas was, that he would be found innocent, that, that God would see that he would be found innocent. Well, they cast lots, found him guilty, and then his very good friend steals Silas's girlfriend on top of it. So this is a man who is very, very bitter, and it is hard, again, it, it, what is so curious to me is so, and it's wonderful, but how quickly he takes to that little toddler who wanders into his cottage, mm-hmm. that innate kindness that is instantly inflamed by the presence of that joyful little girl. Yeah. We should probably also mention a couple of main characters, uh, oh. this uh, leading landowner, Squire Cass, and, and his two sons, uh, Godfrey and Duncy, or, or, or Dustin, because there ends up being a direct connection uh, with this uh, child and its uh, poor mother, you know, and uh, what uh, Silas ends up finding on this, uh, on this night. Yeah, I think uh, in that, uh, you know... Um the author is really using a lot of those characters to point to how the character does define through our choices um, how, how we live our life um, and then what will come to us. Right? You kind of see that prevalent in the figures of uh, the Cass the brothers. Um, Godfrey Cass and Dustin Cass are, are both uh, very uh, you know, incomplete characters in some sense of like uh, right. they, they have a lot of moral failing um, in a different way. Um, but that all plays into the narrative. Godfrey is kind of uh, morally loose, uh, is easily kind of takes the easy, he takes the easy way out, prefers kind of easy answers to hard solutions. Um, and his brother, Dustin, capitalizes on all those. Um, he's very kind of wicked and uh, blackmails his brother occasions. 
And then uh, you know, from that are, are other characters that are instrumental to the narrative of, of Epi, who's the, the Ill- illegitimate child of, uh, of Godfrey and uh, his first wife, who uh, uh, is, is it Molly? I'm, I'm sorry. Yes, I'm that's not, correct. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Molly, Molly who yeah. is a, a drug addict um, and is hidden. Um, and then you have another figure then uh, of, of Nancy, um, who, who's kind of uh, the love interest of Godfrey. And that all this kind of secrecy and uh, uh, surrounding those, not only the affair, the double marriage, all that, um, right. you know, is kept, kept kind of quiet in the... Yeah, how how Godfrey how Godfrey is is trying to um, uh, somehow put an end to this uh, chapter of uh, the, the the former wife while she's still alive and and is pining to be married to another and then you know who ends up showing up uh, you know emaciated and collapsing near Silas's door but Molly and her uh, her toddler daughter so that's where we'll pick things up after we step aside on a break where li- we are visiting with uh, Father Slattery and Nancy Gord about this uh, classic novel from the 19th century, Silas Marner by George Eliot. And we will uh, speak more about this when we return. You're listening to Real Presence Live. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Have you forgiven those who have hurt you, especially those who abandoned or left you after taking their own life? I'm Father Chris Alar. Jesus says that you can only be forgiven by God if you forgive others. It is one of the most important things you can ever do, for if you don't, you are jeopardizing your own salvation. When you refuse to forgive someone, you are not hurting them, you are only hurting yourself. Forgiveness is a critical part of the healing process, which includes forgiving yourself. Also, forgiveness may not be nearly as difficult as you think. So join us and learn how to forgive, and God can fully forgive you through His love and mercy. Please visit suicideandhope.com so I can personally pray for anyone you've lost and to get our book, After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You, which helps with any kind of suffering or loss, not just suicide. I promise it will help. This is Lavinia Spirito for Catholic Way Bible Study. Pope John XXIII called for a new Pentecost in our day. Just as the first Pentecost was the foundation for the first missionary impetus of the Church, so the new Pentecost is the foundation for the new evangelization, the renewed missionary effort of the body of Christ. In fact, the new evangelization cannot happen without a new Pentecost. But to live a new Pentecost is to play with fire because evangelization is about true salvation. It is not about the easy and cultural acceptable path of enrichment. Our God is a holy and awesome God who requires our holiness and trust. Only through life in the Holy Spirit can we model the kingdom and be true missionaries. Catholic Way Bible Study. Peace, power, purpose. Find out more at cwbs.org. This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back, everyone, to Real Presence Live. Father James Gross joined by Father Jason Leffer as we have Father William Slattery and Nancy Gord with us in our sachet down literary lane. We are talking about uh, the novel Silas Marner uh, by George Eliot. And uh, off air, I was just visiting about how uh, my experience in this kind of literature can become a little frustrating because when you're used to modern novels or thrillers, there's a, you know, there's a certain economy, a certain pace. Yes, they may have to take a couple of pages giving you some of the backstory and things like that, but um, uh, especially early on in this novel, there are these, I called them detours, you know, where uh, for several pages at a time, the author is is describing something, you know, that, that's not entirely germane, you know, to the action that's happening in the scene. So can you just, uh, you know, give your guys' uh, perspective of what's going on there and just kind of a, um, uh, uh, maybe a, a caveat emptor, you know, for, for readers coming into these, uh, these works? Well, I think one of the hardest things about reading 19th century literature is just what you mentioned, Father, is the fact that uh, there is a meandering. And as we always talk about going down literary lane, and when you travel that lane with an author from the 1800s, it is going to meander. They're very big on description. They're very word-heavy. They got paid by the word. And so, and in this case, in Silas Marner, she was initially raised in a very rural community, which she looked back at very fondly. So when she goes back to the rural workers, the people in the village, and maybe uh, some people might describe them as simple in terms of how advanced their education is, but they were part of that community and they stayed with each other. But it's very important for her, I believe, to really emphasize this pastoral nature of the community. And again, she gets her words in, and again, (laughs) it's more profitable. (laughs) Well, well, let's kind of spin things forward a little bit to uh, put a bow on, you know, the actual story. So the last portion of it moves ahead to uh, Epi, the the girl that um, Silas uh, ends up taking in and becoming a father to uh, as a teenager, and there becomes this... uh, climactic scene where um, uh, Godfrey, you know, I guess finally um, acknowledges uh, the truth and, and reveals to it reveals it to us, and then we, I, I think we're really able to see just kind of the, um, uh, the 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 fiber of his being and you know his compassion and his uh, you know assertiveness in in taking on this role um, as uh, you know Godfrey comes to him and says you know listen she's really my daughter and she should you know uh, come in you know to to be taken care of by us and and Silas pushes back on that because he. He says no. You know, I'm the only father she's ever known, etc. Would, would it be would it be fair to say that? <clears throat> I mean, or am I stretching it too far to say that Epi really represents the Christ child? Where it goes? I mean, if we uh-huh. list all, all the tragedies that happened to Silas and how, to the point where he's even accusing God of, you know, uh-huh. stepping into time and messing with his life and turning his back on him, and then suddenly. There's this transition moment when the real gold, the gold that he has hidden, that gets stolen from him, mm-hmm. again, the second time gold gets stolen, and it's, ex- it's exchanged now with this real living child with golden hair, where, it's, it, in other words, the, the tragedy has become incarnational in the form of life, and the gift of this, this golden child now 
now the transformation begins, and you can see even resurrection happens. Is, am I stretching it too much by saying that? Or? No, I, oh, I think you're, no. you're spot on, Father. Yeah. Right. So, Father, no, I have thought yeah, of that go ahead. Many times. Yep. times I've thought of it as how the Christ child was delivered to us, and I think of how Providence delivered that little epi to Silas. It's, it's a very much a parallel. Mm-hmm. And I think it touches on, like, the very, I mean, the story at its core is kind of a, a redemptive story. Um, and so you see, like, the main protagonist in that work of redemption is the figure of Epi. And, like, I think there is, there is a, a great, you know, similarity. You see that just even with the golden hair. Um, she comes at the moment in which the gold is lost. And then in the second time in which she's going to lose the true gold, right, her, yeah. When Godfrey comes back, right? This is when the old gold appears, right? And you see this a little bit of internal conflict of uh, of Silas, who doesn't want to surrender the the true, you know, new love, right? The good mm-hmm. thing, grace, happy that's been come to his life, um, but then recognizes like he doesn't want to stand in her way. And I think you see the redemptive aspect of love there, where yeah. in being willing to give away, he doesn't want to stand in the way. Happy ultimately chooses him. I think there's also sort of a, a, a um, there is a flavor of that romanticism in the um, that warm-hearted nature of Epi in terms of um, uh, the, the gratitude that she has for uh, Silas, you know, warts and all, and, and the various ways that he, you know, was. Uh, you know, w- w- was caring for her and wanting to be allegiant to him rather than to just, um, you know, kind of leave that aside and strike out on her own. And, and again, I don't, I, just, I always get accused of stretching things, but, you know, I, I see a clear theme here, like Silas being like a St. Joseph figure, you know, the foster mm-hmm. father. And, and and again, like, but, you know, George Eliot, she, she is, she's putting forward realism, right? So she, her whole tact is realism, like the real earthly the whole kind of thing but yet grace can't help but break through here like if if uh silas is like a a saint joseph figure and and now like as you said father slattery that the 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 actual gold is returned it's almost he's only he's only able now to actually have real life the real child and real gold because his character has been has been developed or matured here yeah and And you see like the the i mean just the generosity of grace there, right? I mean, he it was a moment like Epi wasn't anything he deserved. It came to his moment in a stupor of his, right. his kind of loss, and uh, it brings him everything, right? Um, even the love of, uh, you know, Dolly uh, Winter yes. and just mm-hmm. a sense of like, and then, and then now a true sense of community and family to where he goes back to that town at the end where he came from, mm-hmm. and he's not nostalgic. Right? And he realizes uh, it's nothing. It was nothing. It was all, yeah. there was no yeah. real gold there to begin with. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, and his the, old his yep. old community. I think he just sees the huge factory there, which again is kind of the introduction then of that industrial uh, revolution period. But mm-hmm. but you know what, George Eliot has good people in this story. You have Silas, you have Sweet Epi, you have Aaron and his mother Dolly, and when you have good characters, there are going to be Christ-like attributes throughout the book. Mm-hmm. And there is a, a certain docility in Silas that you certainly wouldn't have expected earlier in the book when Dolly, you know, kind of is, is giving 
giving him her talking to, so to speak. And on one hand, he knows that he needs an awful lot of help, but he wants to be a stand-up guy, and so she is not. Uh, she is unflinching and saying, you know, listen, what what's this child going to become like if uh, she is never darkening the door of the church, you know, and stuff like that. Right. And so we fast forward into the scene where he's, you know, occupying the pew, you know, Sunday after Sunday, and making mm-hmm. sure that she has her prayer book with her and all the rest of it. So. Yeah, there's 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 that interesting part of it as well. So Father Gross, when yes, it's all Father said left. and done, would would you say was it worth the struggle to get to the conclusion <laughs> of this book? I would say certainly it was. And uh, in a preliminary discussion we had, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Nancy, but I think you had mentioned something about echoes of Ebenezer Scrooge. You oh, know, and uh, I, yeah. I was interested to. Um, just kind of explore that because that echo was kind of ringing loudly, you know, in my mind as I was reading through the story. Well, and you look at the influence of Tiny Tim on Ebenezer Scrooge, and both of these characters, both Silas and Ebenezer, realize that you put what is worthy in life and what good is money if you can't do something with it. And, of course, Silas had lost his coin, but he had gained Epi. And also, the Cass brothers, well, Godfrey Cass, poor Dunstan, I shouldn't say poor, he was a blackmailer and a thief, mm-hmm. but who had ended up dying right after stealing the gold because he fell into the stone pit. But uh, Godfrey has this money, too, that he is willing to use toward his daughter, now, what, 18 years old? You know, but, but this whole idea of redemption through a child the connection to little ones. You do see this in Charles Dickens' Scrooge, and you see it very much in Silas Marner, how that little girl brings him joy and brings him back to the community. There's also that contrast of the coldness of idolatry, you might say, of, you know, running mm-hmm. your hands through the coins where, and stuff, and, and how that's utterly unfulfilling. Can, can somebody remind me, where where did the gold coins actually, do we ever find out where they came from when he when he starts, the, it says the gold coins Well, I think appearing. he was just kind of uh, hoarding it up from the payments right. of his work, right? Oh, right. is that, is that so, what it was? Yeah, okay. and, so, there wasn't, so it was kind of like his personal there wasn't bank like account a, under the map. There wasn't like a mysterious source that was like, I, 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 no, one not in I that point. Okay. No, no. So that's that's separated from his earlier history. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm sorry. Go ahead, yeah, Nancy. Was, okay. No, I was just going to say that that he does have a good working relationship with the woman and women in the area, mm-hmm. because he is a weaver and they do appreciate his product. And he's paid. It's just that he saves it all. I mean, he has it put under a board in the floor or something like this. And and uh, you can just imagine him running his fingers through it and counting it. It is the only pleasure he has. Yeah, yeah, you know, and what a what a bleak contrast it is to the uh, the the, the um, life he eventually has and becoming this foster father uh, to that to that wonderful child as she grows. Um, before we let you go, uh, did you have any quick thoughts about uh, what what direction we might go next uh, for um, uh, another work to consider? Yeah, we were uh, discussing mm-hmm. uh, just uh, to this morning about uh, the possibility of doing John Paul II's play. Uh, the jeweler shop. Oh, oh okay. Love mm-hmm. it. So, love it. Love uh, it. 
so it's a nice little short play uh part of like uh you can find it like he has got some collected works of his writings but uh yes. a very provocative uh, little play so that, the uh, the jeweler shop by carol waitiwa we are yeah. all on board for that for pope saint john paul ii well nancy and father thank you so much again for spending the time visiting with us oh of course thank you thank you And uh, when we return, we'll be turning back to South Dakota and hearing about some of the great work happening there on behalf of uh, defending the right to life and the most vulnerable in our midst. You're listening to Real Presence Live. (laughs) 